You're listening to Out of the Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break out of the box. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jess Overton, and you're listening to Out of the Box, the marketing podcast exploring out-of-the-box approaches to marketing and growth. Today, I'm joined by Andre Kempe, founder and CEO of Admiral Media. Andre, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jess. And a, a pleasure. Uh, so, Andre, you are a founder CEO of Admiral Media. I know that you guys were nominated for Best Mobile App Marketing Agency of the Year in 2020 at uh, APS in, in, in Berlin. Among other awards that you've gotten, you, you are an, an industry expert. Um, but I'd like to know a, a little bit more about your bona fides. Tell me, tell me your history. Where did you come from? <laughs> well, uh, my career started a long time ago. Um, I, I'm not very proud of it uh, that it's already that long, but uh, I started with ringtones, um, Nokias and these kind of things. And at some point, a friend of mine or a business contact of mine actually um, reached out and asked me if I want to join his startup in Berlin, um, which was called Trademob, uh, and do some Excel stuff for them. Um, and, and this is how it all started. I basically uh, created the entire um yeah campaign management um department for trade mob uh, that time uh, before I, I went to lavu and headed the entire performance marketing and then jumped into various other startups uh doing similar things i uh, i've interviewed a couple of other people on this podcast who got their starts in ringtones and in the old nokia <laughs> days and there is so much knowledge in that uh, uh, in that group of people, because you've really seen everything, right? You've seen how the how the world has developed, how performance marketing has come to be, the changes. It's really quite amazing. Yeah, we see the good and the bad. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Tell me a little bit about Admiral Media. What? Uh, uh, how do you approach, or how does the company approach marketing, and how do you innovate? Well, so Admiral Media uh, is is. Um a performance marketing agency. We basically started um, based on my origins in, in performance marketing with app marketing, um, like the majority of projects that we managed um, on paid social uh, or Google um, and other platforms um, were uh, promoting apps. And um, what happened now is that we got more and more requests from clients in the e-commerce or Legion um, space. So we branched out into uh, this part of uh, performance marketing as well. Um, and basically, the team is now almost 20 people. We are uh, fully remote. Um, thanks, COVID. <laughs> um, but uh, um, we want to also keep it like that. Um, we don't plan to create an office or something. And we basically not only run campaigns on paid social search, um, we also do all the consulting work that comes with it when it comes to tracking and reporting and event management and these kind of things. Um, and we have a team of designers. We help with influence acquisition. So we basically provide the entire um, yeah, marketing stack that you need to be successful on any channel in the end of the day. Um, about your question, how we innovate, I think innovation comes from um, curiosity. And I basically, I've seen it in, in my own development um, in, in my career and how I approach um, uh, app marketing or how, how I did approach app marketing and other things, um, it, it always started with curiosity. And I encourage my team to develop such curiosity themselves and um, look into things 
uh, out of basically like your title, like think out of the box, right? Um, if you see something happening in your own uh, social feed, if you see something um, that interests you out of a sudden, then follow that path, right? Dig into this rabbit hole. How can you apply this? Ask yourself how you can apply this to your clients' uh, campaigns and so on. And, and this is how you basically start innovating your campaigns and how you discover the latest uh, hot shit that's out there, right? And I think that that's very important. Absolutely. I think institutional curiosity, I mean, uh, yes, is, is something, <laughs> is something that, uh, that definitely is, uh, uh, has been in marketing a, a driving force. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the trend at Admiral Media as well. I want to pick up on something that you said there, which was specifically around reporting and, and, and dig in a little bit there, talk about what's been going on over the last couple of years uh, in the changes in privacy. Uh, for those listening at a, at a future date, perhaps, we're now talking on the 22nd of February, not that long after Google really sort of announced their privacy sandbox. You said in, uh, uh, in my research, I found a, a quote that said, data-hungry marketing teams have been put on a diet. I really like that, uh, that turn of phrase. And now that we're going into a, a, a period where perhaps data is, we're, we're going to have to be a little bit more lean on the data front, what, what do you think in the last couple of years has taken a backseat as marketing teams have really just relied on metrics and KPIs? <laughs> well, um, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm quite long in the industry and I've, I've visited conferences every week, every two weeks. I was on a meetup or whatever, right? So I've, I've seen people developing in that space as well. Um, many of them are friends now, but uh, the conversations have changed over the years, right? And the past years, it was extremely data-driven. Like every conversation started with which KPIs, which metrics, uh, how do you measure, how do you track... Every conversation was like that. So we sort of became, um, um, how do you say that, uh, data professors, right? So we, we uh, uh, specialized more and more into LTV prediction models and whatnot. Um, sometimes I felt like, okay, I should not have skipped my math class sometimes um, to still stay in the space. But um, I figured one more thing that is way, what I figured way more important than just becoming um, a data analyst myself is we forgot to talk about marketing. Um, so one very important part in that whole process is that you still invest millions of dollars every month for eyeballs, but those eyeballs are not machines, right? Those are people and you put your brand in front of them. So what we tend to forget here is that we have to tell a story that we have to drag the same people over months um, through the sales cycle to get them convert into our products very often. Of course, we look into day zero ROAS and I don't know what other KPIs, but um, in the end of the day, um, you're trying to build a long-term brand, right? And this only develops if you put emphasis on your messaging, on your visual identity and these kind of things. And I think those things have taken a backseat in the past years. And they become more and more important again in our conversations since tracking has changed and we have to think about long-term effects. So really, it, it, it sounds like what you're talking about there is the sort of that brand adoption arc of, uh, of uh, awareness and then uh, through those, I don't know, it's usually six or seven interactions, right? Until really a consumer adopts the brand and, and starts to engage. And only then do you start measuring that, those down funnel events 
looking at the sort of the hardcore data of things. 100%. I mean, there's certainly enough studies out there that prove that a strong brand converts better and faster, right? Um, but we have forgotten about this um, in, in the past years. But since tracking has changed and we rely more and more on immediate conversions, a strong brand can only help you with exactly that problem. And I think that so, that's happening now. So talk to me a little bit more about, about that, those practical aspects. We've got a lot of, of marketing managers, UA managers that, that listen to this podcast. How can they take the idea of quote unquote real marketing with less data and really turn it into a functional strategy? Hmm. I think um, we talk about less data, but actually this means more KPIs. Um, this is at least my experience in the past <laughs> months. Um, the, the, the problem that I faced is um, we certainly have less access to individual and personalized data and these kind of things, but um, we have to look in way more tables now. We have to look into way more KPIs uh, out of a sudden, just because there's um, disparity between Android and iOS and now also web, um, which becomes more and more important um, to app, app products uh, nowadays for various reasons. Um, but the... To put this in a functional um, setup, let's say, the as, as a user acquisition manager, um, you have to challenge your design team. You have to challenge your um, head of marketing in terms of um, not only providing budgets and um, is, is it the right way to uh, follow this path of KPIs or something. You also have to ask them, like, is it the right approach? in terms of communication. Um, is, is that the right message at the right time here? Um, what effect does it have um, when we uh, suddenly change um, the core message uh, to be completely different in, in all the ads that we have? And one thing we as marketers also very often ignore is product development. I see a lot of uh, products, not only apps, um, try to enter a bigger market um, or g gain a bigger market share by adding more features, for example, right? So um, one good example is maybe um, weight loss apps. So they, mm -hmm. they focus a lot on a certain feature, how you could lose weight. But out of a sudden, they offer uh, steps tracking. They offer uh, water tracking. They offer, I don't know what else uh, they come up with uh, uh, in next month, but this um, leads to uh, um, some development in, in user perception that you are not the specialist in weight loss anymore. And this has a long-term effect, um, meaning, again, conversion rates uh, probably decline, meaning your KPIs will certainly look uh, worse um, on, on campaigns because of tracking issues. So there's, so there's a correlation between those things. So how do you then think of product development? What would the natural next step for that weight loss app be? I think um, we tend to uh, think very short term because we have to gain market share, right? We get investments, um, we have to spend the money, um, we have to be the biggest in the place. Um, but, uh, but we forget that long-term success comes from patience. And you, if, if you want to position yourself as the weight loss app, as an example, to say in that example, um, you have to reinforce that message constantly over years until you, people recognize, ah, yeah, this was the weight loss app. Um, and this is the brand name attached to it. And I think um, what happens here is if this um, 
for example, weight loss app adds more and more features, it's diluting um, its positioning in the market and loses this uh, connection between the between being the weight loss app uh, and being recognized as such. And I think this has a strong effect on conversion rates on the long run. Um, back to the tracking topic and KPIs. Um, since iOS, iOS forces us to look um, into day zero conversions, strong brand has to convert right away and can convert right away. Not so strong brands um, struggle with that, right? Right, absolutely. But still, you know, even with even with sort of the uh, the reduction in the data, you're talking about looking at even more data points and even more KPIs, despite the fact that obviously granular data has uh, uh, has sort of disappeared or has, has certainly become lessened uh, with what's happened in ATT and and who knows what's going to happen with uh, uh, with with the Google Privacy Sandbox. But can you talk a little bit more about the growth loop for performance marketing and? how data plays a role within that growth loop nowadays with with the new reality well maybe um to give a short context here um the growth loop um is is basically a framework that we have developed internally um and we have created an ebook that's sort of, at the moment uh, we are planning a version two of this is having like 25 pages uh, describing how we work internally um, to achieve the success for our clients, right? So this gives a lot of um, details, how you set up a team, how you structure competences, um, where you start when you, when you have never done performance marketing, um, what are the pitfalls where you should look into. So it's basically giving you some guidance on how to run successful performance marketing. That's the growth loop in general. Um, in this new era, era of uh, tracking and measurement, um, the growth loop plays... No, uh, this part plays a big role in uh, in the growth loop because the starting point um, for most of the projects is, um, or, or when we get involved in projects, is checking tracking. That's the first thing we do. Like, how is the setup, right? Um, without the proper tracking setup, um, you can't um, measure anything. You can't build the proper reporting, but also you can't feed information back to your partners, such as Iron Source, Facebook, Google, and you name them. And those and their algorithms cannot learn from from those data points, right? And the less data points we get, the more important it gets that our setup is fine. So we um, the growth loop starts with exactly that. Um, after let's say after planning uh, of campaigns and budgeting and these kind of things, we look into the technical stack and setup. We make sure that um, there is uh, uh, tracking partners uh, integrated, the ones we need for the different channels. Um, that the events are mapped as they should be. For example, a, a start trial event in your measurement partner should be start trial in Facebook. And is it sending this event? Is it tracking properly? So all these kind of things. Um, so this plays a big role um, uh, in, in our growth loop framework. And um, yeah, it hasn't really changed um since the introduction of iOS 14 to be honest um it's it's really just adding a little bit more complexity when you do all those checkups uh, and and setups for iOS 14 events and conversion values gotcha are there common mistakes that you see in those sorts of early stages of of setting up the tracking or uh, or, or the reporting based on uh, all of those different platforms 
Is there a common denominator that you see with many of your clients? Uh, there are multiple. <laughs> um, I think one or two of the major problems that we face when we enter new clients, um, and and when that's very often the moment they realize something didn't work. So let's call for help, um, and and this is the moment when they reach out to us, right? And we figure in in exactly that moment um, that one of the common problems they have is to understand how they can use the different different tracking tools for different purposes. Um, as an example, uh, you're using an MMP like AppsFlyer, Adjust, and uh, the other ones um, for uh, not only feeding data back to the platforms, um, but also for uh, a neutral reporting, let's say. And here's all, mm -hmm. already the very first problem, the events are, there's a complete mess up in, in setup. Android and iOS are not having the same events. Um, they are not mapped properly between the different platforms. Um, so the uh, Facebooks and Googles learn completely different things from the data that we send them from Android and iOS, although it's the same app. Um, and then there's also Firebase, which plays even a different role uh, when I want to use uh, Google ads, right? And, and here's a lot of, um, problems going on already. And then another big issue is very often the existing team that is working on the project. Usually um, the CEO, founder or VP marketing or, what, or whatever um, does not have, or very often in our case at least, does not very often have the background in all those technical things. Mm -hmm. So what right. happened here is that they hire people um, that claim to have such background, but they we're not able to challenge that properly, right? So they basically trust the input that they get from their uh, um, employees and colleagues. Um, and this is in many cases uh, very wrong, um, to be honest. So and that, that's where they hire them an agency and uh, let's say uh, who buys cheap uh, pays twice, right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely well it's always good i try and uh, and try and get at least a couple of good tips in each one of our episodes practical tips that people can take home i think uh, this is probably the first time we've done common mistakes but no less valuable certainly <laughs> i want to loop back to something you said previously when you were talking about channels and and where to focus as you said something about diversifying into web campaigns and i wanted to pick up on that one because it's not something certainly on, on this podcast or in my day-to-day -day that really I hear talking about. So talk to me a little bit more about diversifying into web. Um, th there's various reasons why um, apps have started um, looking into web acquisition. One thing is obviously uh, payment stuff, right? Payment-related things. Um, uh, one example was Apple and Google were taking their cut. Uh, it's a long time ago, it was 30%. They reduced this uh, to 15% at some point, but still a lot, right? Mm -hmm. um, apart from those high fees, um, they also um, had problems with subscriptions on those platforms, iOS and Android, because every time um, a subscription renewed, users got uh, notifications. Do you really want to renew the subscription, cancel or not, right? So this happened quite frequently. And uh, one workaround was um, to acquire customers on web, use maybe, for example, a different payment method like PayPal or something. Um, and then you got rid of those notifications. Um, and you even didn't have to pay 
15 or even 30 percent right so the fees were much lower uh, renewals were improved these kind of things so this was like in most cases a starting point of why they acquired customers on web mm -hmm. but then lately um i think it's, it started with most of the clients that we have um, when apple and google reduced their cut um, to those 50 percent they still considered web acquisition as an important part because um you're still reaching a different type of audience that still may convert becoming an active app user, although they were surfing on a, a news website, right? Um, so, and, and you're still putting your eyeballs in front of people that haven't seen your ads before, because when you promoted an app on Facebook, for example, it was usually only shown to app users of Facebook, right? So this was like a repetitive loop, um, right? App users stay app users, right? Mm -hmm. And um, when you started advertising for a web inter web front end, let's say, uh, where people could convert, you reached uh, additional uh, audience that you haven't reached before. Uh, so this is definitely a growth opportunity, opportunity here. So I'm interested. I want to keep on this trend of, of growth opportunities. You talked about finding new audiences on web, and that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. We saw with Facebook's, uh, or I guess Meta's uh, uh, Q4 results that TikTok is hot on their heels. Talk to me a little bit about how you guys uh, have, have expanded or have, or have tested the waters in TikTok. I can't remember when we started with TikTok. It was actually, um, we were probably one of the first agencies, uh, at least in Europe, running on TikTok. Um, it was a situation where you were just not able to create your own TikTok account. Um, so we acquired a lot of clients that needed help with that. Um, and they asked us to run those campaigns for them even. Um, and we figured that um, on TikTok, you can create tremendous success, um, not only because reach is cheaper, CPMs, CPCs are definitely cheaper compared to Facebook and Insta. Um, but on the other hand, the algorithm works completely different um, to what we have been used to, right? So on Facebook and Instagram, you have to imagine you launch a campaign, you see a certain result, and you can uh, slowly improve uh, by adding better ads, uh, training the algorithm a little, little bit. So there's like a linear improvement possible, let's say. You barely have a hockey stick situation in, in, mm -hmm. in, with an uptick or downtick, right? Um, it's pretty much planable, let's put it this way. Um, on TikTok, uh, it's a complete opposite. TikTok does not have 15 years of data about everyone on the planet surfing and shopping and who is friends with and connections on WhatsApp and everything, right? TikTok doesn't have that. Um, so their algorithm by nature works differently. What happened here and what we faced is we launched our TikTok campaigns, classic targeting options, demographics, interests, we built lookalikes, everything pretty much similar but what really made a difference is the ads we started acquiring content creators and asked them to produce videos which we then use as ads and we suddenly saw saw performance overnight with like a thousand percent difference compared to anything we've seen before right so the budget went through the roof, CPIs went down, uh, ROAS was amazing, and we were able to recreate this success multiple times through real TikToks, right? So this was uh, an important investment from our side 
and a key learning that we had uh, on that channel. And um, it's still easy to reproduce um, one of the most important tactics here. And when I look at Meta versus TikTok, they both struggle with iOS, but TikTok was way faster in adapting um, uh, to that new, um, I, would, I would say, landscape um, of, of tracking and measurement. I want to I want to dig a little bit into that topic of user generated content because I think it's a, a really interesting point that you bring up, and I want to I want to sort of ask I want to ask you two questions about that. And the first is how do you manage the outreach or the generation of that content? How do you get to these TikTok creators in the first place? And my second question is have is is this something that you guys are going to try and replicate on other platforms, or do you think that this is going to be a TikTok specific strategy? Um, okay, uh, let's say the research, outreach, negotiation and everything, um, what's really helpful here is TikTok provided a creator's marketplace. On top of that, you can still just scroll through your own feed and search through hashtags and just reach out to everyone you find. Um, uh, but the creator marketplace is always a good starting point. Um, other platforms don't have that or they have it very rudimentary. Facebook also has something similar, but it's really bad from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, also in the in the selection of uh, uh, influencers that you have there, um, Snapchat. I still don't understand why don't, why they don't provide something similar. Um, it's really hard to research anything on Snapchat uh, when it comes to such content stuff. Um, but that's really just the creator part and manageable and easy because this is classic influencer manager uh, influencer management. Let's say mm -hmm. you collect a lot of profiles. You, negotiate with the client is that the right type of profile then you reach out to those guys with their email addresses and instagram accounts what they have depends um standard process let's say um what's different is you mentioned uh, user-generated content and that's um from my perspective not uh, creator content that's real users that's active users um, that are in your product um mm -hmm. and that's a different right. beast from my perspective um here, I figured um, we, we are working together with a, a, a startup, and also an agency, but they sort of built a platform around that user-generated content. And, and this is super helpful. They basically reach out. So let's say I'm, I'm this weight loss app, um, and uh, I have a really strong community on Facebook, as an example. There's a group where they are sharing their latest recipes, uh, uh, whatever, mm -hmm. and discuss how many kilos they've lost. Now this startup reaches out through uh, this Facebook group and uh, offers them, hey guys, here's a link, um, share your experience with, with the weight loss app and you may win a $100 Amazon voucher or something like that. And they get like 100 videos uh, out of the box uh, from real users that are convinced from your product. And they are talking into the camera, like how great this product is. They have lost 40 kilos, uh, only two weeks, super healthy, blah, blah, blah. And here, all the licensing, everything is done through their platform. The video is recorded. You can use this video in your ads on any other platform, whatever you want. Um, tremendous success, easy to manage. You don't have to actively reach out to everyone individually. So that's a perfect uh, fit here, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, so I see those two types of content. Um, and they both work on any platform in the end. Cool. So it sounds like you guys are really sort of at the start of your journey, perhaps with uh, with user generated content. Is that right? So you're more your 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 current activity is tending more towards the sort of influencer uh, creator content, also starting to mix in a little bit of that user generated content. 
Yeah, it's um, we are in the middle of the process. Let's say we we do this since quite some time, um, but not at large scale because in the end of the day, um, there's always a client who has to sign something off, <laughs> and um, this blocks us uh, from really uh, nailing it. Let's say um, very often it's not. Uh, agreed by the brand department or the CMO or whatever um, with the look of the people, with how they speak, um, the audio is maybe Got not it. perfect. So it's real content, right? So it's often not perfect right. um, and not brand fit, not at least not a hundred percent. And then you struggle getting things live very often. Interesting. Well, certainly a lot, uh, a lot to uh, to investigate there for the marketers uh, listening at home. There's uh, definitely some really interesting uh, takes there. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna ask you about one last diversification. The Super Bowl, we all know and love <laughs> for their commercials. One specifically that we had that was uh, a little bit different this year was Coinbase's QR code. What do you think is the future around QR codes? What do you think of this ad? I want to hear anything and everything you have to say about that. Um, there's. Uh, Many things you could say about this. Um, it was definitely smart. Um, let's put it this way. Uh, no one has ever done this. Uh, no CMO would have ever signed. I just talked about this. Like CMO struggles signing things off, but here someone had balls, so to say. Yeah. Um, I mean, you spent really a few million dollars to get this on screen, right? And uh, such an ad, you have to make a big bet here. Um, but apparently they placed their bet really well. Um, when it comes to downloads, download success, right? We all saw the news, uh, 20 million downloads. I don't know what uh, website crashed and so on. Uh, but then I thought, um, look, this is a crypto app. Um, they are, it's public. They are, uh, trade, the tra trading volume is public and everything. And I looked this up a couple of days later and maybe they've really made 20 million downloads, but I didn't see any uptick in trade volume on their platform. So I wondered... Maybe this was an amazing ad in terms of brand and awareness and also making QR codes popular. Um, <laughs> but getting active users over the line, I'm not so sure. Um, I mean, there's certainly some hurdles to get like your profile um, approved on, on a crypto app. Like you have to uh, provide a lot of information to actually trade uh, reasonable amounts of dollars, right? Right. Um, and this may, may, may also take a couple of days to get approved. So there's certainly a, a delay in measuring success here. But um, with this volume and this investment, I would have expected um, a different uh, spike in trade volume, let's say. Um, but apparently this didn't happen. So I wonder how successful this really was when it comes to measurable success. And this brings me to the question about how do I see QR codes? I think they are extremely helpful and they uh, come into our lives more and more. Um, I just um, uh, ordered a couple of intelligent bulbs um, to have some light in my home and they all have QR codes. And I, so it's everywhere now, right? And um, I, I think um, there's no way around them anymore. Having them used in marketing, um, I haven't seen any successful campaign yet except printed vouchers sent to my home um, and I want to unlock that voucher. Um, so there's still a lot of room to grow, let's say. Um, I haven't seen really smart uh, use cases around QR codes yet. Uh, I mean, I see even in, in Germany, I've seen QR codes in the S-Bahn station. Um, 
but so tiny that I would have to cross the line <laughs> and risk my life to, to scan it, right? So it's very often also not thought through uh, when it comes right. to offline uh, initiatives. Yeah. Interesting. So there's, uh, in addition to the tracking, there's also some operational challenges that we need to think about on, <laughs> on how we can actually use those QR codes. That's a good tip. I, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, very cool. Well, Andre, this has been this has been a really informative uh, uh, episode. I I've, I've taken a huge amount from uh, uh, from from our conversation. I asked the same question of all my guests, Amazing. and unfortunately, I've taken the Coinbase ad out of the mix. But I'd love to hear from you about a recent out of the box marketing uh, uh, campaign that you've seen or have been a part of. Um, there's very few out there, right? And I think uh, Coinbase, Coinbase was really a great um, thing to mention here um, for being an out-of-the-box marketing uh, thing. Oh, by the way, have you seen the um, uh, tweets? And now I think it's even on the New York Post or something that the Coinbase CEO didn't attribute the idea of the ad to the original agency that pitched it. Oh really? No, I didn't. I didn't see that. There's something going on. So <laughs> the poor agency. Um, it was their idea, but uh, Coinbase CEO apparently claimed um, it was his idea, or at least his team's idea. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that's a different story. Anyways, um, out of the box uh, marketing that I've seen, I think um, the latest trends in uh, NFTs is showing us a really good. Um, or a really interesting development. Mm -hmm. um, we as Admiral Media even looked, got pulled into NFT marketing lately. Uh, so we are promoting some collections um, to be sold uh, very soon. And um, this opened my eyes a little bit because it's completely different from what I've seen in the past with app and e-commerce marketing. Um, the things that have happened around Adidas and Nike acquiring uh, NFT creators uh, lately and releasing their own collections and uh, these kind of things, they are really amazing marketing initiatives from my perspective, because it's not only a new type of revenue stream potentially, but it's also an amazing CRM play. If I'm owning a certain NFT, then I get access to special, thing, special things. So I, I believe this is an amazing marketing play um, for these brands and um, every other brand should jump on that topic as well. From my perspective, I think that's the newest uh, thing. Um, coming back to my initial uh, sentences about curiosity, um, that's definitely something that I, I picked up and want, want to get into more and more. Very cool. Well, I definitely, there's, there is so much going on in the NFT space that it's hard to keep up. But, uh, uh, but I will definitely, uh, I'll definitely be keeping my eye on things because I agree, a very, very interesting space. Andre, thank you for coming on the show today. It's been a really, really great conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Same for me. Thanks.